0: I was thrilled to join my friend Sharon on her Supernatural Travel Podcast where we talked about magical, mystical Ireland, thin places, and haunted castles. She joked at the end that we should have called it Everything But the Leprechauns, so you can bet I will be back to talk to Sharon again about more fabulous places in Ireland. But until then, I hope you enjoy this episode. Of the Supernatural Travel Podcast. So, the thin places in Ireland are those places that you just can't help but feel like there's more than you're seeing.
1: Welcome to the Supernatural Travel Tales Podcast. I'm Sharon Blumenfeld, your Woo Curious Tour Guide. We're ditching the traditional bucket list and going beyond to talk about travel that truly transforms you and your worldview. This Week in Ireland. Today my guest is my friend Jody Halstead. jody has been traveling across Ireland for over a decade with her own family, discovering the most family-friendly sites and activities on the tourist trail and off. Her website, Ireland Family Vacations, provides exceptional advice for a magical Ireland vacation. And Jody also offers Ireland vacation coaching, working with your family to help you choose the perfect lodging, destinations, and activities. I've benefited from Jody's advice on both of my previous trips to Ireland. And it's because of Jody that I've met Fungi the Dolphin and met up with the ghosts at Malahide Castle, which I wrote about on the Supernatural Travel blog. We touched on thin places in today's episode. Thin places refer to the sites where the boundaries between the seen and unseen world feel a little less sturdy. Maybe it's the sense of history or the energy of past events, or maybe it's something more. I could talk with Jody for hours and hours about all the magical things to do and see in Ireland. We cover a lot of territory in this episode, discussing everything from standing stones to haunted castles to filming locations for Game of Thrones and Vikings. I'm also trying out a new segment in this episode. I'm asking my guests some classic travel questions, so let me know if you enjoy it or if you have any travel questions you'd enjoy hearing people answer. First question for you is carry on or check luggage?
0: I always check luggage. <laughs> and I know that's not, you know, that's not like, you know, constant traveler okayed. But when we travel places, we usually have so many things that we're doing. We'll have hiking days and we'll have days that are going to require, you know, nicer clothes, you know, suit jackets for my husband and heels for me. And it, and we usually, if we go someplace and we're flying, it's usually for an extended period. So we usually each check, I would say a bag. Usually we take two really big ones and then, um, and then we all go carry on beyond that. So there's four of us. So we usually check two bags. Sometimes we come home with three.
1: <laughs> okay, next question, super controversial, recline the seat or don't recline the seat?
0: If I'm flying less than three hours, I don't recline the seat. If I'm flying more than three hours, that seat's going back. I'd say if I'm flying more than three hours, usually the lights are being dimmed, and if the lights are dimmed, the seat's going back.
1: I'm with you on that one, 100%. I have a bad back, man. More than three hours bolt upright. I'm just miserable anyway. Oh, so right.
0: I write. And I always splurge for the, I, I don't get business class very often, but I will I will splurge for the extra leg room and getting on early so I can put my luggage overhead.
1: 100%. Like Economy premium is my BFF. Right. <laughs> All right. So I've been excited for a long time to talk to you with your vast, vast (laughs) knowledge of Ireland's thin places. And I, first of all, I don't even know what the term thin places really means or refers to. So I definitely want to talk about that, but just all of the magical things and places in Ireland, because Ireland is so super special. I only got a tiny taste of it when I was there um, and I'm, you know, hungry for more.
0: Oh, and it's one of those places that once it's in your blood, it's there, I can't even tell you how many people you know i I coach people and I help them plan their perfect Ireland vacation, and I work with hundreds of people a year, and I always follow up with an email and I can't tell you how many people respond to that saying, We are going again, we have to go back, we loved it so much, um, which just makes my heart happy so
1: I believe it I can't wait to go back i'm I'm sort of mentally you know, the pieces are moving around in my head head about what I want to see next time I go. So tell me what thin places means and what they are. Sure. The
0: thin places in Ireland are those places, and it goes back to the Celtic, um, the religion of the Celts, and even, you know, you might think of it as Druidism. But the places that were where they were connected to, and with Druidism, it was the places where they really were connected to the earth. And with the Celts, it was the places where they were very close to the spirit world. So the thin places in Ireland are those places that you just can't help but feel like there's more than you're seeing. There's more than, than is meeting your eye. And whether that goes back to you know, the spirit world or the natural world, or even it's just a place that exudes power. Those places are the thin places, the places where there's just more than you can see and you really have to let yourself feel them.
1: So tell me about some of those places. What are some of your favorites?
0: Gosh, I have so many. I I actually made notes because I was like, because I can talk about this, I kid you not, for hours. So, (laughs) So I know, I probably. <laughs> so one of the, one of the places that it's, it's not really, I don't think a thin place, but it's a place where you can really feel extra spirits is just outside of Dublin. It's called Malahide Castle. And it's in the village of Malahide. And it's a beautiful, beautiful castle. It was in the same family for 800 years. So Everything there is super well documented, which might have a little bit to do with why you can feel. But in Malahide Castle, it's said that there are two ghosts. So there are said to be two ghosts in Malahide Castle, but the one that is most common is actually the ghost of their jester or their, you know, their clown, and he was a little man. So I don't, I don't know if dwarf is politically correct anymore, but he was, uh, so he was a small man and he is said to have been killed because he had a tundra for a woman who was in the castle. So he's, he's said to be killed because they were plotting. And that his ghost still is in the big dining room. And when they do tours, they have people who can, who have actually felt like they've been um, nudged by him or had their clothing tugged by him or have even seen maybe a little, a little shadow of him moving through the area. So that's, if you're in Dublin city and you're wanting kind of that ghosty experience, that is a great place to go. Just half an hour by train out of the city.
1: Well, as it happens, I have been to Malahide Castle (laughs) because of you when I was at a conference, I want to say like two and a half, almost. It was my son's eighth birthday. So we were there for my son's eighth birthday. Uh So it's a little, it's now two, a little over two years ago I was there and uh, I went to see Malahide Castle on a very, very gray and rainy day with my (laughs) husband and my son and the staff there kept gasping every time they saw my son because he's a redhead and he really resembled the portraits that mm-hmm. were throughout the castle of the little boy who lived there. <laughs> so every time he would walk into a room, people would look at the portrait and look at him and gasp. And it was very funny because he's a leap baby and it was leap day when we were there on his birthday. Funny. And everybody was giving him so much attention because he looked like this ghost kid. Um but I photographed um, a bunch of really interesting shadows in the library off of the dining room Mm -hmm. uh, in the castle. And I could totally feel that there were a lot of spirits in that castle.
0: Right. And they've had, I, I think they've had like ghost hunters in there quite a few times and the tours, the guides there are just phenomenal. They do a great tour and I've done that tour two or three times now and each guide is a little bit different so you're always going to learn something different you could probably take every tour in a day with a different guide and not have the same tour twice so it's a great spot
1: I definitely want to go back there and preferably on a less rainy muddy day so that I can (laughs) explore the grounds too because the grounds there were spectacular they are So, where where else do you like? The other place that we barely scratched the surface, but um, when we were in Ireland for TBEX afterwards we um, we drove the Biara Peninsula and we stopped at you know whatever Mm. stones we could find on the map. We went to all of them.
0: They're great standing stones. My favorite standing stones are in County Limerick. So there's an area called Loch. Gur, so G-U-R Loch Gur. And just outside of Loch Gur is the Grange Stone Circle. It's the largest stone circle in Ireland. It sits just off the road. So if you're traveling south between the village of Bruff, which is right next to the Loch, and Limerick, you go right past it. Massive stone circle. It's just absolutely huge. The entrance into it is kind of a v formation that you walk through and just entering that it's almost like you walk through this field this force field i don't even know how to describe it but it's just powerful and then standing in the middle of that area and just slowly turning it's one it's again it's thin it's a thin place and this power just emanates out of the ground And you can feel why it was so magical. There are trees that, you know, have grown up on the outer edges of it. And it's at the edge of this lake that was actually partially drained. And inside of this lake, they have pulled out these massive bronze shields and things that were sacrificed to the lake. Um, you know, for various reasons. So it's just, it's such an incredible area from that, the stone and the bronze and the iron age that you can feel the history that has come before. And when you look at these stones, there's one stone, it's just absolutely massive. It's, it's probably the size of, oh, I don't know, a small SUV. So it's, I mean, just, it's, Stands hugely tall seven or eight feet and then it's just square all the way around and it's just it's awesome to think about how much strength and power and mathematics it took for them to stand this stone and then what this stone symbolized to them because it it wasn't aligned this exact stone wasn't aligned with the sun the entranceway is aligned with the sun so why was this stone put in this spot and what was this stone for so they do i want to say that that stone circle aligns with the fall equinox so if you're there at sunrise then the sun comes up between those entry stones and i mean that's just that's a sight to just take your breath away right there
1: you know what amazes me about all these stone circles is how how they did it. I mean, we don't know. Like there nobody has been able to explain how Lots these stone circles exist. There's tons of theories, but you know, just the the sheer power, you know, mm-hmm. of of building these these sites it's still you know, in L.A., we can barely get an underground built or like a, <laughs> a light rail built in like 20 years. And the Coliseum went up in less time than that. But right. slave, slavery was certainly a part of it <laughs> then. But uh, I just how did they figure out, you know, like you said, the the sheer math and manpower and clever skills to figure mm-hmm. it out?
0: I think that. Well, you know, and then it's a perfect circle. I mean, it's perfectly you know it, it's perfectly circular. So just, you know, when you look down at it, you can see this great circle. But on the ground, the the fact that everything lines up, and there's no stone that juts out weird. It's just it blows your mind when you stop and you really think about it and think about the fact that they don't have the tools that we have now. They don't have the calculations. They don't have the GPS. So, yeah, it's and, um, mind blowing.
1: and and the, the term thin, it, like I, I, when I heard thin places, what came to mind was like the air is thinner because they're up high, <laughs> but I, I, I don't think they're always up high. Stone circles are usually on a hilltop, but I think thin is, sort is of the atmosphere. This one is not on a
0: hilltop. This one oh. is actually, oh. sits below the hill. Yep, it's on, a, it's on a flat. Now, there is another place that sits on a hilltop, and this is up in County Meath, and it's called Lock Crew, and it's a series of cairns, so it sits in, it's kind of more on the edge of the Boyne Valley, and people who, who maybe are thinking of, of cairns in, um, in Ireland probably know Newgrange. Newgrange is really well known, but the only way that you can get to Newgrange is on a guided tour, now, Loch Crewe is kind of in that same area. It does sit on top of a very large hill. It's a hike up. But this is, um, this is a cairn that you can walk into. It's aligned with the fall equinox sunset. And when the sun comes through there, it lights up a carved stone. The great thing about this one is you can get in without a tour. It's managed by the OPW, and there's usually somebody there in the summer. But if there's nobody there, you can go down the road to a cafe and get the key so you can get into this cairn and, you know, shine your light on it and take a look and then just return the key. So, you know, this one is high. It's closer to the sun. Um what it was used for you know they they don't know exactly what these places were used for they know that in excavations they have found some bones but they don't think it was a site for sacrifice they think the bones were put there for a reason usually long after death the bones were for the most part already cleaned by the time they were placed into these these dolmens and cairns so the you know again everything is theory on why they were built and and what purpose they served. But this one sitting so high up on the hill in an area that is filled with smaller dolmens and cairns and of such historical significance being in the Boyne Valley or the Valley of the Kings makes it a really, really special spot.
1: Okay, so we already have the idea that Ireland is just so full of these special spots <laughs> like if you're someone who's really into this stuff like I am where do you start when you're planning a trip if that's high on your list seeing you know places with that supernatural sort of otherworldly feeling
0: um there are a couple of really good references the first reference i bought and it was quite a few years ago it's a book called Sacred Ireland and I don't even think, I think the last time I checked for it, it was like $150 used because it's out of print. So if you can find it at a used bookstore and they don't have it marked up, um, grabbing the Sacred Ireland book is, um, yeah, that's a great one. But a more recent book that is really helpful is written by archaeologist Neil Jackman and it's called Ireland's Ancient East. So it's named for the the area of Ireland that is you know most ancient, has the most um of these sites. so it includes the the Boyne Valley in county Meath. it includes uh, Loch Gur. it includes kind of the oh gosh, it's it's so it's the the east and the southeast of Ireland um and and it's a really great guide to help you find places that are very ancient as well as those that aren't quite as ancient. So that's a really nice guide to start with. Um, beyond that, there's a website. Actually, it is a Thin Places website, and I wish I could remember the woman. Her her first name is Mindy, and I cannot remember her last name for the life of me. We'll find it. She does a lot of writing on um, Thin Places as well, and that's a really nice reference, too.
1: Okay, and so not as supernatural but also i think really of interest to my followers and the people who listen to this podcast and me <laughs> are all of the locations for filming for um game of, game of thrones and vikings also i would love to do a combined vikings game of thrones ireland tour and i know there's you know there's stuff there out, are there. Tours
0: out there there are I tours out there. out there um Northern, the Northern Ireland Tourism Board actually has a Game of Thrones trail, and I want to say they even have an app that's a Game of Thrones passport type app yeah. that will lead you to every single place that that touring has happened or that filming has happened for Game of Thrones. So that is a really, really great, um, a great resource if you want to do it yourself. If you don't want to do it yourself. Um, Patty Campbell's Black Cab Tours in Belfast does a Game of Thrones tour that's really, really good.
1: And Vikings, do you know anything
0: about the Vikings? I I am ashamed to admit that I don't know a lot about Vikings, but I do know that the Tourism Ireland website does have information about filming locations for that as well.
1: Okay. I've been a big fan of that show too for a long time. <laughs> I'm such a geek.
0: Yeah. And, um, and that's, I mean, the tourism board has been so involved in all the filming that's been going on, you know, even down to star Wars on Skellig Michael. Um, and they really do like to promote any film work. So if you just go to the um, tourism Ireland site and do a search on vikings or on game of thrones you're going to have more than enough information to find anything that you want
1: so a lot of those a lot of the filming has been done in castles which i know ireland is also lousy with haunted castles i have friends who have spent the night in haunted castles some with rather spooky experiences that are queued up for future interviews (laughs) um and others who haven't had experiences. I even spoke with someone from the tourism board who had a really fantastic story about just like a meeting that they had in one of the castles where crazy things happen. I'm still trying to convince him to be out (laughs) here. So have you had personally any experiences in any of these haunted castles?
0: We stayed in Napogue Castle, which is just north of Shannon Airport on the western side of um, Ireland. It's a private castle stay. They do medieval banquets there uh, nightly during the high season, but you can rent the private rooms. Now, they don't they how do I say this they They don't advertise that the castle is haunted. However <laughs> it is a castle, it is on the west of Ireland where you had a lot of activity between the clans. So for it not to have a little spirit activity would be odd. We stayed there for three nights, just my daughters and I, which is a little spooky in the middle of the night when it's just you and your kids are down the hall and the the room is lit only by the full moon. Um, we had, my girls said that they had an experience in their room that somebody or something woke them and seemed to be wandering around the room looking for something. So my eldest daughter, who is my, she's my future archaeologist. So she's always after facts and why. She said she thought it was probably just shadows from outside blowing in. Um, My youngest daughter, who is my mythical creatures expert, said she was sure that she saw things move. Um, I was blissfully unaware in the master suite. So I got to hear about it the next morning over breakfast. And we just agreed that as long as nobody was injured, that it was okay
1: <laughs> it's okay as long as okay. not, they don't mess nope.
0: with you nobody's injured it's okay but they were both they, no, they both woke up for it so were they creeped out a little bit um i think they were more intrigued and then creeped out in the aftermath because i think they both woke up and and you know they're kind of their beds are i don't know a good five feet apart or so so they both were just quiet not knowing if the other one was awake so i I think that was more intriguing and watching when they were asleep and then the next morning when we're having breakfast and the discussion of it then that kind of creeped them out because they both saw it
1: right they weren't sure i think i had this discussion um someone else recently about how it's the cognitive dissonance like when you first wake up and you're a little out of it you're like am I still dreaming am I imagining Mm -hmm. this is that just the light and you can go back to sleep but it's when you play it back and you go wait a minute I was awake and the Mm -hmm. natural world was not behaving the way the natural (laughs) world is supposed to behave that cognitive dissonance I think creates that creeped out feeling but usually I mean, most people I speak to in my own experience with ghosts and spirits, it's not like, you know, some horror film where they're like there to drive you crazy or, right. you know, throw something bloody on your bed or whatever. Like most of the time, it's just something is off, like in the energy right. of the room or the world. And it's not because they want to scare you or because, you know, it's not threatening either, usually. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. She's, they, they just said it was like something was being looked for. You know, it's not like anything moved. It's not like anything was out of place the next day. It was just the feeling they got that something was being searched for. So.
1: Yeah. And did you do any, like, history of the castle to see if there was anybody who might have been looking for something that would be in that room?
0: <laughs> um, we did ask about it. They, uh, We were told that while there are people who have claimed to see things that they really haven't dug too much into it, Napogue Castle isn't open for tours, so the only guests in the castle are private guests or uh, people who come for the banquet, and the people who come for the banquet are really there for that medieval banquet experience, so it's not something that that they dig into or really advertise, so.
1: Oh, so where else, is there anywhere else that you would, you know, highly encourage people to visit that's maybe not as well-known?
0: A little off the beaten track a little off the beaten track but not too much most people pass by this um, either when they're going Dublin toward Limerick or Dublin toward the rock of Cashel and that's the rock of Dunamase. the rock of Dunamase is again built on top of a, a rocky outcropping and it's in county leash it's just off the n7 motorway and it's this incredible fortress it's it's all crumbled in ruins now. But the castle, it was the castle that was given to Strongbow when he married Aoife by her father, who was the king of Munster. I believe he was the king of Munster. Anyway, so this was a castle that was given to Strongbow. And it sits on top of a rock. It overlooks the entire countryside. On a clear day, you're seeing two or three counties. But It's a place that even today you can just feel the power that it held. Um, Strongbow was a conqueror in Ireland. He was a Norman conqueror, um, incredibly powerful. And you can really feel his power in that place when you're wandering around the ruins of the castle and beside these massive walls that have crumbled to the ground. It's, It's just a place that You can you can just feel how much power was there and how much could still be there. Almost it it just feels like a spot where if somebody wanted to overtake Ireland, they could do it from there.
1: (laughs) It does. It does. It's crazy. It's so interesting to me. I just did you know like a multi castle tour of the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. And there's something about castles and their history, even if you don't you know even if you don't know particularly much about the family or the history, just the different castles they have such different energy you can really just and and that's you have to say like you can feel it, you just have to sort of be there and let yourself feel it you know they are. Very distinct it's like different flavors of ice cream (laughs) they just like this castle super chocolate this (laughs) maybe not like ice cream but just like just like the the personal energy whether it's like Mm -hmm. a a power hungry you know energy or whether it's a reclusive energy or whether it's you know a, a quirky or dysfunctional even energy I felt so differently in every Mm -hmm. castle that we toured. And it was almost like just being there. I kind of knew the people. I kind of, I didn't know them personally, but their energy was still there. Right. How I would describe it.
0: Right. And you know, the, the funny thing is, if you're in a large tour, sometimes those are really hard to feel because you've got so many other people kind of vibrating around you. But if you can, You know, listen to what your guide is saying and then either drop to a corner of the room where nobody else is or just maybe lag back a little bit and, you know, take a deep breath and just kind of let yourself feel where you're at. It's amazing what will come to you almost instantly.
1: That is such good advice.
0: Stepping back.
1: Just, and also if you can, explore places a little bit more on your own, you know, like Mm -hmm. read up beforehand so that you know mm-hmm. the history of the place so they you know a little bit about it but it, it's true like on you know a lot of tours uh you do get that sort of like you're rushed through and they want to mm-hmm. make sure you know the the salient historical parts and that you see the most important artifacts and antiques you know on the place and click click check check get your picture you know done <laughs> now you've seen that but that that does that kind of a tour and that kind of an experience you are missing out on the full flavor of your location.
0: Well, and even speaking to that, I know that a lot of people when they visit Ireland, they have this feeling of seeing it all and doing it all. And I have to go here, 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 and here. And Ireland is best toured slowly. Even if you have to go Back a few times, which I know isn't always possible for everyone. You know, it might be your trip of a lifetime, but even if it's your trip of a lifetime, do less to experience more instead of trying to circle the country in seven days. All you're going to do is wear yourself out. You're going to feel like a, you know, a a click stop tourist, you know, click picture, move on, click picture, move on. Um, Ireland is really best explored slowly. And even if it means you go to two places and you spend three days here and three days there that's going to be the best experience of your life rather than trying to hit a different place every day.
1: I agree. And the funny thing is I'm not even Irish and I've already been to Ireland twice, both times because of conferences I was speaking at and kind of coincidentally. So I was thrilled to have the chance to go there and see a few other things. Um, But now my daughter is going to university in London starting this fall. And I'm like, Oh, exciting so exciting and so close to ireland so Mm -hmm. i know that i will be back and i will be planning trips and i'm super excited about seeing more of ireland because like i said i'm not even irish um my kids are part irish my husband's family is irish so there is some aspect of family heritage to seeing it but i don't even think i mean a lot of people go to ireland because of you know they're irish and Mm -hmm. they want to see the heritage but i don't think there has to be because there's no, no. enough magic there for, for all, and so much to see, so many different areas, so many different eras of history, um, and, and Ireland certainly was influenced by the Vikings, and by, you know, other, other things coming through there, too, so.
0: Well, and then a really interesting thing that most people don't know about Ireland is Ireland never experienced the Dark Ages, the medieval Dark Ages. They never reached Ireland so which is why it's called the land of saints and scholars because after the dark ages all those teachers that came into europe came out of ireland it was your 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 priests and everything that came out of ireland and brought the illuminated manuscripts but so ireland didn't have that that renaissance that you know kind of gives you the end of the dark ages and so the feeling of ireland is different than a feeling of a lot of Europe, just because they didn't have that period of time.
1: I didn't know that. That's really fascinating. Thank you.
0: <laughs> gives it gives it a different a different aspect when you look at it. Um, and you sense. kind of compare that time period in Ireland with that time period in mainland Europe. And even England, because England did have the Dark Ages, because they were constantly, you know, France,
1: mm-hmm. constantly
0: back and forth with England, so...
1: And Scotland, too. We covered so much ground, magical and geographic, in this episode. But I can't believe we didn't spare any time for the wee folk. No leprechaun tales. That's okay, though, because that's Ireland. There's more magic than you can take in on a single visit or a single podcast episode. I'm pretty sure we'll come back to this country, both on the show and in person. Have you ever been to Ireland? Do you have any stories about magical experiences there? Tweet me at Supernat Travel or come chat about it in the Supernatural Travel Facebook group. Also if you post a photo of an irish ghost on instagram tag us at supernatural travel and now i thought i'd share a review some Uga fan says discovering this podcast felt like walking into a room full of friends i love listening to these fascinating stories from fun places I would encourage any woo curious or open-minded travelers to take a listen and enjoy. Thanks for the review. Your support means so much to me. The world is a big mysterious place and there's so much to explore, which of course is always more fun with friends thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with a fascinating interview with Chris from OC Ghosts and Legends. We'll be talking about ghost hunting, haunted hotel lockdowns, and why these sorts of encounters are so popular and possibly not as scary as you think. That's it for today. Check out the website at supernaturaltravel.com backslash podcast for all the latest episodes and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything and stay in touch because when the going gets interesting, I totally want to hear about it.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Supernatural Travel Podcast. You'll find links to some of the places that we talked about in my show notes, as well as a link to the Supernatural Travel Podcast website. So I hope you will pop over and check out the work that Sharon's doing over there. It's really fun travel. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, slán Gafol.